Welcome to The Creative Switch, the podcast inspiring the sensibly successful to switch on their unexpressed creativity for a more fulfilled life. In today's episode, we delve into the story of how biographer Caroline Pierce transitioned from working in PR through a career in ghostwriting to running the audiobiographers. Join us shortly as we explore the path which took her from interviewing within her communications role to capturing people's life stories in their own voices via a creative writing degree and an MA in biography, both as a mature student. And hear how a request for help from a family member became her switching moment. And if you're looking to turn your creative inspiration into action, don't forget to listen right to the end of the episode and catch up with my creative adventures. I share the challenges I encounter and how acting on the nuggets I've learned from my guests and applying those learnings is helping me to move forward in my own creative projects. If you'd like to follow your creative passion and turn it into a side hustle, I'll share some wonderful advice from fellow switcher and award-winning creative entrepreneur, Palumi Debnath. Before we get to that, do remember to head to my website, nikkivalance.com, and sign up to join the Creative Switch community and get involved in the creative conversation. You can connect with like-minded creatives, find a safe space to share your challenges, support each other, and maybe even collaborate to create something new. First, it's time for some creative news in The Edge. We all know someone, maybe a family member, who is known for skillfully spinning a yarn and keeping everybody waiting for the punchline. Often it is how our family histories are remembered and passed through the generations, even if sometimes the details have become embellished or distorted with each retelling. I've been doing some research into storytelling and came across a blog article by actor and casting director Daniela Parks. She explores its history and asks the question, How long has it existed? Whilst, of course, we can't pinpoint a specific date, she concludes that oral storytelling is tied to the birth of speech, estimated at between 50,000 and 2 million years ago. It has played a crucial role in human communication and cultural preservation. And a Guardian article back in 2013 suggested that even in the world where social media was taking its grip, Reading aloud was back in fashion. It says how, historically, oral storytelling was a means of cementing community bonds and passing folk narratives on to the next generation, and how, in medieval times, storytellers were honoured members of royal courts. Bringing things up to date, I discovered Peter Ingoff, a graphics designer based in Montreal in Canada, whose business Ingo Studio pulls together a directory of AI storytelling courses, including one from Harvard, and AI tools, and talks about how oral storytelling, in particular, has unique characteristics that set it apart from other forms of communication, and how writers such as Homer and Shakespeare wrote their stories to be performed out loud. 
And as I record this, the importance of telling stories orally is being highlighted during National Storytelling Week here in the UK. This event celebrates the power of sharing stories and emphasises how stories can teach us about the world, allow us to empathise with others, help us relax and escape, and even for children to develop essential literacy skills. The event also features storytelling projects with authors like Swapna Haddo and Steve Camden, aiming to inspire a love of storytelling for future generations. It looks like the tradition of telling stories out loud is still a vital part of human communication and culture in 2024, fostering creativity, empathy and literacy skills. Head to the bottom of the show notes where all the links I've mentioned are listed under The Edge. When was the last time you read out loud? Was it for your work presentation or your children's bedtime story? And how important is it to you? Do let me know what you think in the Creative Switch community or on Instagram at Nikki underscore Valance. And listen next to my conversation on the art of capturing people's life stories with writer and audio biographer Caroline Pierce. Hello, Caroline, and welcome to the Creative Switch. It's lovely to have you here. Thank you, Nikki. It's lovely to be here. Thanks for inviting me. We've got lots to talk about, but before we do that, can you just tell the listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do? Okay. I am an audio biographer, which means that I create audio recordings of people's voices as a lasting and meaningful way of capturing memories and preserving stories for their families and their friends. Um, it's a wonderful way of, of preserving their histories so they're not lost and providing social histories, really, and context about their lives for their family members. I find that a lot of people have said to me, oh, I wish I asked my parents this or I wish I'd asked my grandparents that. And they only realised too late that they really should have asked them all these questions. So people tend to think of their older relatives only in relation to themselves as a father or a mother, for example. They don't really consider them as people who existed and had a life before they were born. I've interviewed people for more than 30 years from many walks of life, mostly to write about them and their lives. For example, um, when I was in public relations, I interviewed corporate bosses and wrote press releases about them or bios about them. Um, I worked with a charity interviewing youth volunteers about their work, which was used in an advertising campaign. I've interviewed sales forces, local community members for an exhibition last year at St Albans Museum. And during a career break to raise my children, I studied part time for a bachelor's degree in English with creative writing because I wanted to enhance my writing skills and use them when I returned to work. I absolutely loved being a mature student. So for anyone who's unsure of returning to study, I can recommend it. I was a much better student in my 30s and 40s than I would have been as an 18-year-old. Anyway, so after a few years of freelance writing on various projects, I went back to university again to focus on writing about people. And in 2014, I completed a master's degree in biography and creative nonfiction and began ghostwriting until I realised that after a few years of doing that, although I gain a great deal of satisfaction from hearing people's stories and helping them to create something lasting for their families, there were other elements of the work that made me unhappy. And that's where the switch came in. 
Ah, so talk to me about that moment then. Was it a moment of gradual realisation or was it that something else was presented to you that made you switch from that to what you do now? It was a bit of both. I think the scales were tipping and I could feel that I was sort of feeling a bit guilty almost that I wasn't enjoying the work because I'd studied really hard, I'd spent years doing it and there were bits that I loved, but the scales were tipping in that the company I was working through wasn't very supportive to writers. It's not something that's valued as much as it ought to be, I think, or adequately compensated. And I do tend to put everything into my work. So there was a lot of dissatisfaction from that point of view. Mm -hmm. And it was sort of towards the end of 2019, I was put in touch with a couple, a local couple, who had started the audio biographers. And it was absolute light bulb moment for me. I was like, this is what I need to be doing. This is going to make me a lot happier. This takes the best elements, the interviewing and the helping people to craft their stories in an audio format. So it's even better in a way because it preserves their voices. So Mm. there was no question. I sort of jumped straight in. I was still keeping the writing work going for a while because then lockdown happened and, you know, all of that. And at some point along the way, they didn't really want to be involved anymore. They had other careers as well. And they said, you know what, you can have it Uh, very graciously. And I said, great, okay, let's do it. So I made a gradual transition. And then at the end of last year, I had decided that was that was the deadline for refusing any more ghostwriting work and focusing solely on the audio biographers. Um, So that's what I've been doing since January. And it's brilliant. And I love it. So you could definitely tell that There's a passion there. And as you say, there were different elements of your job before that you did love. And you've managed to sort of retain the best bits and perhaps not the other bits. You were freelance before, I'm guessing, when you were doing ghostwriting. But how are you finding the difference between providing that kind of service to a business and actually running a business yourself? How are you finding that? Well, that's a new challenge, (laughs) running a business. I mean, I have done it before, actually. When uh, Many years ago, I worked with my father for a while. He had a small business and he needed some help. So I worked with him for about six years. So I had a little bit of grounding. Obviously, things have changed a lot since then. And, you know, that is part of the challenge, part of the new challenge. But I'd much rather be doing this and being in control of my own destiny, as it were, Mm. than, than working through a company that that's not something I want to do again. Right. Excellent. Okay. (laughs) No, I I hear what you're saying. So I want to go into a little bit more, delve a little bit deeper into some of the other elements that led to the switch, one of which was two periods of study as an adult that you did. So talk to me about how you decided to do that, how you fitted it into your life, what you thought it was going to be like. Talk to me about the whole time of becoming a student again well it would go back to when my son was a baby actually which was 27 years ago and I'd I'd had a sort of a a medical emergency basically I was kind of it was a life or death thing not to be Mm -hmm. too dramatic but it really (laughs) was and (laughs) and and then I sort of That was a bit of a light bulb moment. I mean, I can really picture them all. I had always enjoyed writing. I hadn't done a degree when I was younger because I was exploring life in other ways. 
And I always felt it was something I was lacking. I wanted to study. I wanted to go back to studying and learning more about literature, more about writing, so that I could be a better writer, so that I could be a writer. I mean, I didn't have a whole lot of confidence back then either. So I started off going to local classes at the community college. This was in California, where I was living at the time. And it was brilliant. It was a brilliant way to to go in. It was very gentle. I had an English A-level. I didn't have any other A-levels. I felt like I had a, a sort of a, a good starting point. I convinced mm. myself it was best than nothing. In community college, there's no sort of entrance exam. Anyone can go. So I thought, okay, I'll try an evening class and see how that goes. And I loved it. I just loved it. I just really enjoyed the experience of being in the classroom and being around other people who wanted to learn. And they were all mature students too. And then I did another class called Exploring Your Creative Writing Potential. And it just, I sort of built on it from there. So at the time it was evening classes because the children were quite young and my uh, their father um, worked quite long hours. So I had to be around for them. So it was, it was not too much of a juggling act at that stage. Once we moved back to the UK, I then was able to transfer my units that I acquired at community college to the University of Hertfordshire. Mm-hmm. So... Then I had another two years to go. But um, again, it was part time. You know, I would study at the weekends, go to classes when they were at school. And I was in the fortunate position of not needing an extra income at that point. So I could continue doing it that way. Went from there, really, once I, once I got my bachelor's degree. Then I started working and doing various freelance projects. But there was a family member who came to me and said, you know, I could really use your help. She'd written about her life as a Bernardo's child during the war. And she didn't really have the writing skills. And she wanted to create it into a sort of a, a book, really, for my children and the rest of her family. Mm. So I helped her work on that. And I thought, I really like doing this. This is really good. I'm really enjoying writing, helping her write about her life in the first mm. person. So that was really my first experience of ghostwriting. Yeah. And then it was really on the back of that, I decided to go back to uni again and do a second degree specifically in biography. Yeah. So that's interesting. So in your undergraduate degree, your first degree, you would have presumably had exposure to all different types of creative writing. Was the biography something that really drew you to it at that point? Or was it just because of this experience with the family member? Well, no, I think at that stage when I was doing my undergrad, I still believed that, you know, I could write fiction. <laughs> and I would write. I still believe you can. <laughs> <laughs> Whether anybody else would want to read it or not is another matter. I mean, I wrote a lot of poetry, but I didn't really read much poetry because I don't like reading other people's poetry. It's more fun to write my own. So, yes, at that point, I although I had had the previous experience before I'd had the children of working in PR and writing about people, to me at that stage, creative writing still meant fiction. Mm-hmm. It wasn't really until this family member, till I worked with her, that I thought, no, this is actually very creative. And it was... It's different because when you're writing fiction, as you know, to all the ideas come from in your head or from wherever. Mm. When you're writing about someone's life, you've got some source material to work with. And then it's, you know, you can kind of interpret it how you choose to. Mm. So that's where the creativity comes in. You've got the basics there. You've got the building blocks, I guess. Yeah. 
and the creativity that you're using is the crafting of the story. So an author of fiction will have source material, which might be in their heads, but it might be from somewhere else. They've been inspired by a newspaper article or whatever. Their job is to craft story from the information, particularly if it's historical fiction. That's exactly what they do. Often there's a lot of truth in historical fiction because the historical authors that I know are really careful to try and get those details right because fans will tell them if they've got them wrong. So it's actually really, it's historical fiction in a way, isn't it? You're telling the story of something that's happened to somebody in the past. So it suited you and it suited your interest. It was your interest in doing it because you enjoyed it that took you to do the second degree then in that particular aspect of writing. I think so, although if I'm 100% honest, at the University of East Anglia where I went to study, they do have a fiction strand to their master's degree and I did consider applying for that but I was a little bit put off by the fact that at the time I was told for every place they had 70 applicants and I didn't think that my writing was good enough. I mean one of the lecturers when I did my undergrad he told me I I could publish my stories in in women's magazines you know those weekly magazines that I thought oh god If that's the level, there's no way that my writing is good enough to be published by a publisher. And I just didn't think my work was good enough for that. But then I knew that they had a biography one. Again, I just, I was drawn to it. Yeah. I don't know why I'm trying to make life difficult for myself. You know, if I go down the fiction route, I know I'm going to be making my life more difficult. If I go down the biography route, that's what I should be doing. That's what I'm better at. That's what I enjoy doing. Why create a challenge that's really unrealistic? I'm all for a challenge. But I think at that point, it was like, just pick your challenge, you know. Being Doing an MA at the University of East Anglia in any event was, was a big deal. Mm-hmm. So actually, it made more sense to go for the thing that I was drawn to, that I felt I was better at and, mm. and enjoyed, if that makes sense. It totally makes sense. So it led you to using those skills, that knowledge that you'd gained in your career because you you were doing the ghostwriting. Did you at ever any point think, actually, I want to write a biography in my own name as an author? Did that ever sort of occur to you? Well, I am doing that. Ah, I thought <laughs> so. Ah, Interesting, my children, they've been great. They're really supportive of the work I do. My daughter's in marketing and she gives me tips and things. And and my son tells all his friends and one of his friends just bought a gift certificate for his mother's 60th birthday. And they very much encourage what I do and they're, they're fabulous. But for my birthday this year, they bought me a gift. It's another company that basically they send you a question every week for you to write your own story. So that's prompted me to, to write my, my story for them. Wow. <laughs> Fantastic. Very enjoyable doing that. Mm. So I'm curious because mm. one of the bits that you don't get to do for your business is the putting pen to paper part of creating a story. Does that do something different for you? Because I know you absolutely love the job that you do, the business that you have and the people that you serve and the conversations you have but it isn't writing so is this other project is it satisfying something that you're not getting in the other part of your life 
Yeah, I think I think it's safe to say that actually. It, it sort of it was really weird. My birthday's in January, so it came at the same time that I stopped ghostwriting. That my children asked me to do this project. So the timing was great because yes, I do I do still love to write. I'm way behind, <laughs> but but it's it's given me that opportunity. And I, I think I mean running a business, as you know, it does involve a certain amount of writing as well. You mm. have to sort of you know when you when you go and do your 60 second pitch at networking events you have to write your pitch you have to write your notes you have to I mean for me I write everything I do write a lot because that helps me to sort of remember what it is that people want to hear and what I need to talk about so Mm. that still does exist but it's that is writing about the business yeah as opposed to the other kind of writing which is writing for for fun for the pleasure of writing yes yeah And what do you think that is? Because I think there's a problem that a lot of people have in that they judge themselves. If you're thinking that what you're doing is you're writing something that somebody else might read, you're trying to get published, you're trying to impress an agent or a publisher or whatever, there's a certain level of a standard that you're expecting of yourself before you would allow yourself even to approach an agent or a publisher. But there is something wonderful about just writing for the sake of it. And it made me laugh when you were talking about poetry there. I'm very similar to you. I don't write poetry as often now. I used to write a lot of poetry when I was in my teens. And I do still write poetry, but I never do it because I want other people to read it particularly. I mean, I quite like people to read it and like it, but I'm I'm not doing it because I want to produce a poetry pamphlet or get a book published or whatever it's because it helps me to express something. And if I were to get people to read it, it would be because I want them to understand that they could be feeling the same way as I am. And look, somebody else has put it into words. But that's not the purpose of the writing of the poetry. And I think there is a distinction between doing something for the sake of doing it, and the beauty of the flow state you get into you forget what time it is and that actually gives you something in terms of well-being that I just don't think you'd get if you said oh I have to think about an audience for this would you agree with that do you think it does that for you yes I think so although I'm writing this book for my children so yeah there is a small audience at least (laughs) there's a small audience but they are the biggest incentive you know yeah there were two things that I wanted to achieve, and one of them was focusing on the audio biographers. And the other thing was I wanted to run 5K because I'd never run before. And I decided, because my birthday's in January, so I make these, not resolutions, just kind of goals. And I started running, and then I got COVID the first time. So I had to stop for about six weeks, and then I started again. And my daughter said, Mum, do you want to run a 10K with me? And I said, well, I can't even run 5K yet. And after a couple of weeks, I thought about it, and I said, Yes. So we did that in July. We ran 10K. Now, if my daughter hadn't put the idea into my head, I may not have done that, to be perfectly honest. I think basically because my children asked me to write this book, I'm writing a book. (laughs) Whether I would have done it otherwise, I don't know. But it does. I love doing it. It does give me a great deal of pleasure. Mm -hmm. I may not, you know, I don't know if you find this too, but I have had to deal with like not giving myself permission to do things that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I may not have given myself permission to do that mm. if you know what I mean 
I do know mm. what you mean. It's very common. It's very, very common. I think, in fact, my audience is what I would call the sensibly successful. <laughs> and they are the people who choose to do the things that they think are important, but not necessarily the things that would always give them the most joy. And I want people to, with any ounce of creativity that's unexpressed, to be able to tap into it, whether it's just for themselves, whether they do want to do it for friends and family, or whether they've got an ambition to go further than that. But actually, the first step is you've got to do it for yourself, because if you don't start, then you're not going to take the next step. So you have to start with something for yourself or nearest and dearest. But you might learn something from that that says, well, actually, I want to do that again. And you can't write, and you can't write your own story again because <laughs> you've done it already. That's true. <laughs> one of the other guests I've just spoken to this week, one of the lessons I've taken away from him is that it's very, very easy to look at the goal and see the end game and go, oh, but how on earth am I going to get there? When in fact, that's not the point. The point is what you're doing in between the before and after and what you're learning as you go and even the mistakes that you make it's all part of it and actually we need to slow down and enjoy what we're doing and be patient and see what happens and I think that's one of the things with creativity is it's actually allowing yourself permission is definitely a word but allowing yourself the freedom to see where things go because I think sometimes structured processes tend to take you down a, a different path that isn't perhaps allowing the creativity to come out. So, I mean, I'm talking to people because I'm really curious about people's journeys themselves, but I'm also doing it because I want to learn from people as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's entirely selfish. One thing is not to, no doors are closed. No, I no. Think, you know, we. I think sometimes we well, that thing of giving permission, it's like we close doors or we see them as closed doors when actually they're not closed doors. But I think a lot of that has to do with age too. Dare I say it, I think getting older, learning, having experience, being out in the world, I think that one's perspective changes. Mine certainly mm. has. How do you want to spend your time as well as how do you need to spend your time in getting a balance right of, mm. of doing the creative things that you enjoy, like painting plant pots in the garden, which I like doing as well. And that's worthwhile. It's also recognising that those things are not just kind of superficial waste of time things at all. They're really important. Yeah. Being creative is really important. It really enriches you. It really enriches mm -hmm. me. And I want to keep learning new things. I don't intend to ever stop learning new things. I mean, no. 2023 was down in my goals as the year of my creative adventures, or starting my creative adventures. Not that I wasn't creative before, because obviously my novel came out before that, but I put too many in. So that's what I learned. I didn't have two, I had four. <laughs> two of them haven't happened because I, because I had too many. So actually, my goal this year is to not add anything else to the list. <laughs> that's great. Perfect. Why pile on the pressure? Why not recognise that? That's the other thing, isn't it? You learn as you go along. How much is too much? What's mm -hmm. actually achievable? Because I, I have tended in the past to overcommit to things, you know, and live life at a hundred and goodness knows what miles an hour, trying to get yeah. everything done. Don't miss out on anything. And then sometimes you can crash and burn doing that. And that's no good for anybody. No, definitely. So it's about getting the pace right as well. Definitely. So you mentioned a bit of painting there. So talk to me about the thread of creativity through everything else that you do, not for the sake of things that you're going to sell or share with the world, but things that you love doing. 
Where does it pop up? It's really funny because I never used to think of myself as a creative person. I did art O-level. I passed it as well. And in my writing, always, even at primary school, I used to write stories, but I never really thought of it as being creative. I never thought of myself that way. And it wasn't really until sort of later in life. So, yeah, I love painting plant pots. The fence is blue because we painted it blue because I like blue and that's the colour of the sky and that makes me happy. (laughs) I'm not a fan of grey, for example, because it it brings my mood down. (laughs) So the plant pots in the garden, they're sort of there's pinks and purples and (laughs) yellows and everything because that's what gives me joy. So, yeah, I do that cooking. I really like to cook, especially in more recent years, because, you know, when, when you have a family and your kids are young, it's like, right, what can I make that's nutritious, healthy, and they'll eat, and can I do it in 20 minutes? Yes, exactly. Now I've got the leisure to actually create a variety of food, and I love to do that. I love to cook for other people. I love to share food with people. So that's another thing. And what else? I have often thought about going back to piano playing. So what level did you do that to? Oh, gosh, I was quite young. I mean, I was lousy at practising. <laughs> so I don't even think I took any grade exams, but I love music. I love listening to music. I actually, oh, here's something else I did a few years ago. I joined a choir. So I really enjoy that. I never thought in a million years that I could stand on a stage and perform in a choir or perform at all and I joined a choir and gradually I've now gone from standing in the back row at concerts to sometimes I'll actually be in the front row and it really gives me a lot of well joy again it's it's uplifting it's wonderful to be part of a group of people and to to hear how the harmonies all come together you know you hear Mm. hear a song and you think oh what's that going to sound like and then all the four part harmonies are all sort of layers in together and and this magical piece of music is created definitely singing itself but then also singing within a choir they're definitely experiences that have I think a physiological impact on us and in fact one of my guests on the first season Emma Balin she runs a company called Shared Harmonies and they use singing in a creative workshop both within the corporate world to help people un leash their creativity and work better together and etc but also in communities where people might not be very well they might have terminal illnesses or they might have breathing difficulties or whatever and the well-being it creates setting up those kind of workshops and allowing people to express themselves using their voice and she's done loads and loads of research into the neuroscience behind it and why it does work and why it's so powerful and I think I often think it's funny There's things that we know instinctively. I think back to a time, I don't think I even lived in this time, but in that time when people lived in the community with all their relatives around, you know, their auntie two doors down and their grandmother next door and whatever, lots of wisdom existed around us. And we didn't have the internet, but we had that. And I think now what's happening is science is proving all these things that we kind of instinctively know work. And we've sort of forgotten about them because we didn't have someone to remind us that they were really good for us. So, you know, when people say, oh, getting out into nature, being outside for 10 minutes, getting some sun, all these things Mm -hmm. would just have been part of our lives before because our grandmother and our mother would have said, go and do those things. And I think singing is definitely one of those things. And 
I think writing with a pen, which I know not many people do nowadays. And I think it's to do with senses. I think part of the problem we have, although it's amazing, technology is amazing. It allows us to do things we could never have conceived of when we were younger. But it there is a lack of inputs. And I think it is the multiple inputs you get, the sensory inputs from sound and the smells around you and everything together makes it a different kind of experience if it's a tangible thing rather than a digital thing. Yeah, I'm always yeah. holding one of these. <laughs> I mean, I can't read my writing anymore. But I write yeah. my book. I write my books longhand, and then luckily, yes. But luckily now, I don't have to type them up anymore because I can speak them, and then I AI will turn that into, you know, eighty five percent accurate stuff, and I can just tinker with it and turn it into my manuscript. The first book I typed up all my handwritten work pretty much, apart from towards the end. That in itself was another process. I found yes. Going the transition between written and then typed is part of my editing process. If I typed initially, I think it would sort of slow me down because my brain wasn't thinking freely enough. So I just said, okay, forget that. I'm just going to write and then I'll worry about tidying it up later. And I think that helped me to not be quite so worried about what it looked like on the page. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean, actually. If I was writing anything, when I do write, I use my pen and paper and then type it after that. Because there's something about the the process, the act of holding the pen and moving it across the paper. It's just, I don't know if it's because we grew up before there were computers. Uh, So that's the way that it was sort of ingrained in us. But for me, it feels more natural to actually write it with a pen first and then type it. And then, as you say, the typing is part of the process because you might change things as you go. It might not be exactly as you wrote it by hand. So that's like the first draft. You put it yeah. on paper or on the computer rather, and that's the second draft. Yes, exactly. I think it has been proven that it's not just because we were brought up that way that it actually does. It connects to a different part of the brain because of the motor skills part of the act of writing it does something different. But not that I've done the research but I've heard from other people that that's what they've said so even though it is a little bit I think maybe longer in the process I think it, yeah. it, it's valuable because it for me it brings out different thoughts and ideas I don't think would come out if I was just typing that so you can be writing wherever you are and I've always I've got so many notebooks in my office in my cupboard uh, go on holiday somewhere sit on a beach and write that's inspiring to me so that'll be a time when I can sit and write and I mean yes I suppose you can take an iPad onto the beach probably not the best idea <laughs> no to me a holiday is getting away from what you normally do and if all you're normally doing is digital stuff then I take my phone with me because I like the camera on it but I, I very rarely even opt for the roaming part of it I'm with the people that would want to phone me. So they don't need to phone me because I'm with them. And somebody's always got a phone, much to my annoyance. So if there's an emergency, somebody else will be able to use their phone. So I just, I literally switch it off and I don't have anything on other than using it as a camera. So I try really hard to completely detox the digital stuff when I'm away because I think it helps me to reset my brain and get reconnect with the creativity, really. Absolutely. Yeah, I was away on holiday for a week recently and... That's exactly what I did. I took a couple of books with me to read, which was lovely. And 
it was really nice. I slept really well. <laughs> it was like getting away from thinking about the things that you think about every day. And I found it actually quite easy to do that. I was surprised at how I was able to do it. But I didn't have my iPad, didn't have any sort of work with me. So it was definitely pressing the reset button. That was really good. Yeah. Talking of taking photos, though, you asked me about what I, the creative things I do now. In fact, last week I took a photography course in London. Apart from my phone, I've got a big camera and I haven't used it since really before lockdown. And I really wanted to know how to take better pictures and not just put it all on auto to actually use settings because I'd never done that before. So that was really nice. I really enjoyed that. Brilliant. The thing I find really hard is actually prioritising or deciding rather, not prioritising, which things I'm going to do because there are lots of things I'm doing that are just for me because I've always loved them. And I'm trying to reintroduce them. But it's a balancing, definitely a balancing act. Because, you know, there are other things I committed to do that are more like work. And I have to make time for those first, unfortunately. Let's <laughs> Talking of work, let's get back to that before we finish. So I want you to be able to explain to people a bit about the process that you use with your clients. And I'm just going to show everybody, because this is going on to video as well. So Apologies if you were listening on the podcast, but I'm holding something up here. This is the product, I guess, of your work. It's a lovely, beautiful wooden box with your logo on the front. And inside there is a wooden USB stick. And on there is my dad's story. That's how I found you because I saw your service. And I thought, what an amazing idea. I just couldn't (laughs) believe I hadn't seen it before that nobody had ever done that before. So tell people how you go about making one of these. Well, I can tell people how it worked with you. So you and I had a chat first, you were interested in me interviewing your dad and recording his stories. So we had a good chat about that. And then I sent your dad a short form to give me some background and context for the person. So I don't have to ask them in the interview, things like, where were you born? When were you born? You know, what's your wife's name or any of those things. So that's very short form. And then I also send people a couple of pages of prompts and questions to get them thinking about what aspects of their lives and what particular stories they want to tell. Because... Some people, they'll go, well, I, I can't possibly tell my whole life story. And I say, well, no, you don't need to tell your whole life story. You can tell parts of your life story. And so that sort of helps them to focus on what it is they want to share. I ask them to make notes. So I ask them to spend a good couple of hours looking at this, making some notes, thinking about it, and then sending the notes to me so that I can have a look. And then we have an interview, so it can be in person or on Zoom, because I can actually do this wherever anybody else is in the world. I like to do it in person if I can, but I've interviewed people in California, so that's not too easy unless I'm actually there. So it means that it can be done anywhere. And I say to people, it's going to be up to three hours. And I say, allow four hours because we'll have breaks, have a cup of tea, all of that. So during the interview, I mean, I I should really not call it an interview. It is more of a conversation. But I do provide people with prompts and maybe remind them if they haven't got their notes in front of them, ask them about particular events or particular stories. It's wonderful. And once the interview or the conversation is finished, I have a colleague I work with and he edits it onto the USB stick. So 
one of these USB sticks in the gift boxes is part of our sort of standard package and people can also have the digital download so they can send it to whoever they like. But the thing about the USB is it's tangible and it's something that people can give as a gift mm. and it actually makes a very nice gift because the box mm. is very smooth. It makes it something special rather than just sending them a digital download. But sometimes I'll interview older people who live on their own and they might have family who come in regularly to visit them. They might have activities that they do, but the chance to sit down and talk to somebody about their life, someone who's um, not related to them, so doesn't have any background knowledge, doesn't have any baggage, someone who's an objective, interested listener. And people really enjoy that process. And I feel it's a privilege to hear the stories. And I also feel that I'm doing something good for them, something nice for them. I'm enabling them to tell their stories. And then it's there for their children as well, their families or whoever it is they want to share it with. So it feels like I'm doing something good. So I enjoy it as much as I think they do. And there's nothing like hearing someone's voice, Mm -hmm. especially when they're no longer here because the voice can really evoke the person. So books are great, photographs are great, videos are great, but hearing someone telling their stories really evokes their personality and and their Mm. essence, and you can hear the emotions in their voice and the inflections and the way they speak, and it it sort of, it brings them back to you. Yeah, it's wonderful, and I I can agree. (laughs) All of that is definitely true for my dad. In fact, he had more story to tell, didn't he? Yes, he did. He asked me if I'd come back again, which I was delighted to do. And at the end, when I was leaving the first time, he said, you could have been a dragon. I said, oh, I hope I wasn't a dragon. He said, oh, no, you were a fairy. <laughs> it, was, it was lovely. And then and then I went back and had another session with him. <laughs> so it was really nice. You know, you yeah. could really sort of feel a connection with someone. It was all round positive experience for me. So... I have guests on here who I haven't used the services of and I meet them because I think they're really interesting people and I hear their stories. But you're one of the people who I can say, yes, I can definitely endorse your business because it's a wonderful thing that you do. And I'm glad that you enjoy doing it as much as the pleasure that you give the people who are benefiting from your service as well. Thank you so much for talking to me today. Um, Where can people find you if they want to follow what you do or connect with you? Um, Well, they can look at my website, which is www.audiobiographers.co.uk. They can email me. Um, We're on Facebook and a little bit on Instagram and LinkedIn. Okay. Well, I'll make sure that all of those links are in the show notes so that you can find you easily. And thank you so much again for coming to talk to me today. Thank you. It's been really lovely. I really appreciate you having me on. I am so grateful to Caroline for taking the time to tell us about the evolution of her work as a biographer, her openness to learning new things and the way creativity threads throughout her life. Now, it's creative adventures time and I promise to share some advice from Palumi Debnath on how to find the time to build your creative business. When I started out as a writer, I had a young family a full-time corporate career, and little or no spare time. Life was busy and fast-paced, and finding time to write was pretty tricky. But once I decided to write my book, I was determined to finish it and get it published. 
But how do you fit in a second career and keep everything else going? When I spoke to handmade textile jewellery designer Palumi Debnath, who runs her award-winning business alongside her career in hospitality, she offered some essential advice to other entrepreneurs following in her footsteps and looking to build a creative business on the side. She said, it takes preparation, organisation and commitment to run a side hustle. You have to sacrifice some of the downtime you'd have with a nine-to-five job. It is hard work. She too has a family and plans her business activities around them. She chooses the evenings as her making time whilst watching television and afterwards often works quite late on the administrative side of her business. Having launched the Creative Switch seven months ago, I did find fitting in work on the podcast launch and my second novel plus all my other responsibilities a challenge at times. That said, By focusing on one major project at a time, and for example, flexing my downtime, using the weekend to make up for time out last week, visiting the Moonwalkers exhibition at the Lightroom in London, I am finding a better rhythm now. Rather than scrabbling around, trying to squeeze activities in here and there, and never really switching off, and constantly feeling guilty for not doing anything properly, I've taken a leaf out of Palumi's book, and... With more careful planning, I have been more productive, felt more satisfied and less guilty. Keeping the bigger goal in mind helps me prioritise the important activities and worry less about the smaller details. And if you're wondering, yes, the Moonwalkers experience was worth a visit and it is still open well into April. I'll add a link in for you to find it and the episode with Palumi in the show notes. And. If a podcast is a creative adventure you'd like to begin, check out the links for Alitu, my podcast recording and editing software, and Captivate, my podcast hosting software. Are you exploring new creative adventures or building a side hustle? Do tell us about your experiences in the Creative Switch community. It's free to join and I'd love to hear about all your creative adventures. Thanks so much to listening to this episode of The Creative Switch. If you enjoyed it, please leave a review over on podchaser.com. And if you've got any questions, please let me know on Instagram at Nikki underscore Valance. I do hope you join me next time. And my guest, Harriet Kelsall, one of the most respected bespoke designers and business trailblazers working in the UK jewellery industry today. And remember... Why survive when you can thrive?